Hi, thank you for inviting me. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you and what are you focusing on? Yeah, we are now in the radio studios of the University of Applied Science in Amsterdam. Uh, I used to work here uh, in this building also, but now I moved to uh, Maastricht and I'm a lecturer there in, you could say, kind of cultural, media, technology and design sociology. So I'm teaching there a kind of a new method to design for the new world, you could say. Um, and I'm also, well, I used to be a journalist, but I uh, have an enormous lack of time. Okay. <laughs> so I haven't <laughs> written a piece in in, uh, in years, I believe. Well, sometimes I write something, but it's not really journalism anymore. It's just more essays. You are also a lecturer at the Digital Design School, I believe. Or am I saying it correct? Yeah, yeah, it's the Digital Society School. It's not a lecturer there, but much more a kind of a coach, you could say. Okay. Uh, so I'm doing design sprints there. Uh, that means that I, together with a group of international students, we do a kind of a design assignment where they think about the future and they build fictional worlds by thinking about what possible development could be in the future. Your own, you have your own studio, right? Studio Hyperspace. Yeah, 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 Is this yeah. related to each other? Yeah, yeah. With uh, my studio, Hyperspace, I work together with a couple of organizations in the Netherlands. And the Digital Science School is one of them. My kind of my aim is to uh, investigate <laughs> the theory and practice, but I call it praxis because that's German and it sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, of the accelerating world, uh, sort of world that is kind of going so fast that we uh, aren't capable to really understand it, but it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool mm -hmm. because why we got got in touch is because of I was looking for scientists and philosophers and mm -hmm. artists to talk about this subject. And then you responded to me. The Global Jam. Goals Jam. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Could you tell me a little bit about this? Yeah, the Global Goals Jam uh, is based on the Global Goals uh, that has been set by the United Nations uh, in 2015, I believe. But it could also be 2016. I don't know. It. Mm, yeah, I think 2015. They are kind of 17 very global goals uh, and also quite abst abstract. So this, for example, everybody in the world needs a good education for example, but we also uh, need, uh, for example, sustainable cities, uh, or we need to do something about the climate. Very abstract global goals. Uh, and each, each year, uh, since 2016, all kind of designers from all over the world come together and have a two days event where they take one goal and try to come up with solutions for that goal. Yes. So you could also call it a hackathon. That's a very good yes. term, of yeah, course. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, this time it's about uh, three goals. Yes. Um, and I don't know what they are exactly, uh, but we, uh, because I'm also organizing one, designing for uh, sustainable cities. Okay. So that's, of course, also related to uh, yes. the climate change. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Everything you do is related to the future, thinking about the future yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and acceleration. Yeah. And I saw a little spark in your eyes when you were talking about acceleration ah, again. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me a little <laughs> bit about... Yeah, Why is I it so fascinating? I think it's so fascinating because, well, it's, it started, you could say, uh, in the early 2000s when I really missed the 90s. Oh, really? I mean, for <laughs> me, the 90s were kind of was the period that I went to Amsterdam, uh, that I studied sociology here in Amsterdam. That, of course, also kind of a, a, kind of a, a feeling in society. Uh, that everything would be good from now on. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And there were happening a lot of things that kind of also had that kind of feeling. 
uh, so electronic music, house music, drum and bass, etc. That was also that Amsterdam at that moment was quite rich, uh, while in the 80s it's kind of a shitty town with a lot of drug addicts, etc. Uh, so, so, so the whole city had a kind of a vibe from, okay, this is where all things are happening. So I also could uh, can remember that I was at university or when I graduated, I, I worked and then went to, uh, for example, the Melkweg and danced to house music and standing on the dance floor and thinking, okay, this is it. The whole world <laughs> is good now. It's, yeah. it's kind of... And that ended, of course, a- abruptly at the end of the 90s with the implosion of internet, 9-11, of course. And then, it's very strange that I didn't found that kind of sources in the 90s. Then I read a piece by Nick Land called Meltdown that he wrote in 1994. And I really was struck by the way he described the future. Uh, so he used he used kind of terms that were much more literate and much more kind of poetic than normal philosophy does. Can you give um, us an example of a, of a term he uses? For example, um, he uses, uh, I believe, the term narco-capitalism in the China syndicate. That kind of stuff. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's really cool. (laughs) Could also be kind of a lyric in the drum and bass song. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So I was really struck by the way he talked about where the future was going. So I dove into the idea of accelerationism. uh, And that brought me kind of back to the 1990s where... Nick Land and Sadie Plant, another philosopher, um, founded their own school at the University of Warwick. It was called the CCIU, the Cybernetic uh, Research, the Cybernetic Culture Research Unit. And they were mixing everything. Uh, So they were mixing the new upcoming electronic music, like drum and bass, with philosophy, with uh, Deleuze and Guattari, uh, with, which wrote the book New Plateau, of course, uh, a thousand. Plateaus, uh, with the ideas of Baudrillard, uh, with time fiction, with Blade Runner, uh, etc., in one big mix. <laughs> so it was a kind of a, a very cool mixture of uh, mythology and philosophy and science and everything. So I thought, okay, this is really cool. And I think this is a much better way to explain what is happening than uh, just all those boring philosophers and sociologists that say, yeah, we are living in, a, in, in an age of problems with privacy and terrorism, blah, blah, blah. Uh, because it was all kind of doom and dark and the world will never get better. At. So I was really longing for uh, those kind of uh, ideas that bring a smile on your face. Yeah. A positive <laughs> idea of where the future could went. Yeah. It's, it's could longing went. for the future. Yeah. And, and, and I think there's a difference between, uh, because there are a lot of thinkers that are longing for the future. Uh, for example, Jaron Lanier, uh, who wrote a couple of books about uh, the internet. Uh, he's one of the, he teaches, I believe, at UCLA, uh, the University of California in Los Angeles. And he's also one of the founders of uh, virtual reality in the 1980s. And he wrote a couple of books about how the internet turns bad. Uh, so the internet had to promise that it would liberate us uh, from a hierarchy, for example. Uh, but it didn't happen. Uh, so he wrote a couple of books where he said, okay, I miss the future. So he wants to go back to... Um, the future. Well, in, it, 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 that, that, that's interesting because he, I don't think he wants to go back to the future. He wants to go back to the time when there still was belief in the future. That's why I believe what Jameson, Frederick Jameson means when he talks about that sci-fi is nostalgia for the future. <laughs> so uh, you are trying to, to, to bring the idea back uh, that you think about the future. So there were a kind of uh, 
periods where people really believed in the future, like for example the 1990s, and like the maybe the the mid 70s or something, uh, where people really thought, okay, we are now in a kind of an era where everything is going good and everything will be better than um, it it uh, was. Yeah, you wrote also science fiction reminds us or teases us with how mm. everything could be different. Uh, it reminds us that reality can be changed or even more so can can change. Mm-hmm. Um, in a very unpredictable way. Yeah, yeah. But it can also be a pitfall because you are almost expecting a designers will mm. solve the problems of the future. Yeah, Everything will be yeah. better. Mm. Um, it's almost like a romantic idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the romantic idea is uh, <laughs> very strong and also very important. I don't. I think if you don't have the romantic idea, you will also be. You will not become a designer that really designs for the future. But there is, um, as you already said, of course, also a problem with uh, sci-fi. Uh, because sci-fi can also give expectations that are much too high or that are uh, not realistic. Yes. Um, and that is a problem. And I think at in sci-fi you see that a lot. Very interesting that last week uh, there was a podcast by Wired, the yeah. American magazine. Uh, with uh, And I, I'm always kind of struggling with this first name but uh, with uh, Harari from the books mm. Homo Deus and he also uh, said something about for example Westworld which was a movie in the 1970s about a robot in an amusement park that didn't want it to obey the humans anymore uh, but it also uh, last year turned into an HBO uh, show which was quite good I think uh, but he said those science fiction shows and especially for example Westworld gives us an image of AI isn't what AI really is because the show is about the fact that uh, eventually AI uh, or robots will become self-aware and will feel emotions. Uh, he says that will never happen because an AI or a robot uh, has no emotions because it it is programmed. Uh, and if it's programmed, it will follow rules. It will follow structures. It can be, of course, very creative in finding new rules, uh, finding new ways, maybe finding also new ways of uh, showing us that maybe they feel emotions. But emotions aren't uh, transferable to uh, structures. Uh, so they will never be emotional or they will never have empathy, for example. Uh, but those shows about robots and AIs uh, show us uh, what AI will do in the future when there will be empathy. So he says all those shows are showing us something that will never happen and gives us a totally wrong view of the development of AI and robots in the future. Do you follow him in this, no. In this argument? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, I think, uh, I think Harari, and that's also his books. I mean, I've, written, uh, I've, I've um, read his books and really liked them, but he is wrong uh, because he is kind of stuck in enlightenment way of thinking, humans versus the world. Yes, and I think he he got he gets it wrong. Yeah, yeah. We were talking <laughs> about this before: uh, mm. humankind versus technology, yeah. mm. and this is a a big problem, or as we see it, as you and I see it, referring to the climate change. The same is going on with nature versus humankind. Yeah, or of course. Yes, yeah, yeah. could you explain us a little bit about? why this concept of technology and this concept of nature we are having mm-hmm. um, is a problem. Yeah, I think the concept itself brings us uh, further from reality. Uh, and it, it's very difficult to give a definition of reality, of course. 
and, and nature, of course. It's also a very complex word because nature doesn't exist. It's also what Timothy Morton, of course, um, claims. And I think he's right because the whole con concept of nature comes also from a c kind of way of thinking where there is a difference between us as humans and the outside world, namely nature. And that, that there is a kind of a distinction between culture and nature. Uh, so things that are made by humans and things that are made by nature, which is in itself very strange because we are also, of course, uh, made by biology, nature, uh, but that's another kind of nature. Yeah, and I think, but maybe now I'm going too fast, but that's mm. also what, of course, Morton uh, says about hyperobjects, that the problem is that if we make a distinction between us as humans, um, the culture, and nature, we will always kind of think that we can control culture because that's what we create ourselves. And nature is something that we just kind of set apart and say, okay, that's there. So you were talking about mentioning uh, hyper-objects. Mm -hmm. uh, how can I see a hyper-object or how can I experience yeah, a hyper-object? Yeah, a hyper-object is um, an object that isn't explainable with the scientific methods we use, you okay. could say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then you could say the hyper-object doesn't exist, uh, like Wittgenstein, of course, also with his language uh, games. Yeah. Yes, um, the es yeah. essential doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But the problem is <laughs> we, we feel that the hyper-object is there because the hyper-object hyper uh, really changes our way of life. What's an example so of a hyper-object? For example, the climate. Climate change. Yeah. Climate change. So we had, I think, yeah, maybe two centuries of kind of coming up with all kinds of uh, abstract models without, of course, uh, the climate interfering with it. And we also didn't feel that climate uh, was something that we mm, should care about. But the last kind of 50 years, um, the climate, uh, yeah, you, you could say if you would say that the climate is really something that exists, the climate has shown us that it, it exists because there are a lot of things happening. So it's accelerating, everything mm. is speeding up. Yeah, yeah. We become aware of hyper-objects. Can I say, can I put it yeah, like this? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting because if you would uh, kind of explain it from the more enlightenment way of thinking, then we would become aware of hyper-objects. Yeah. Uh, if you would use kind of the object-oriented on the logical way of thinking, then uh, the hyper-object and us become aware of each other. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, because there, the hyper-object really exists and, and, and is also a kind of an entity with an intrinsic uh, value. Okay. In it. Yeah. You wrote earlier, mm. um, our view on nature is problematic. Nature is no longer a useful concept. The only way to really understand what's going on is to dive deep into reality. Mm, yeah, oh, I <laughs> like that. Yes. <laughs> but really... Yeah, yeah, you okay, wrote this, okay. yes. Yeah, uh <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, the only way to dive into reality is to accept the fear, the tension and the excitement. So how, how can we dive into reality? How can we change our concept of nature? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's kind of, and it's very interesting that I wrote this because this is also so kind of uh, early accelerationism. I think the only way that we can really understand what is happening and, and what reality is is just to give up understanding, just kind of accept that there are things that 
you can't change that are there. You accept the situation mm -hmm. and then there is this longing for the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems almost there's a some of kind of a friction. Yeah, yeah, because it's 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 difficult because uh, longing for the future could also easily be mistaken with a kind of a modernistic view, uh, because modernity, of course, is very focused on the future. Uh, so in modernity, everything uh, is related to kind of uh, moving forward, inventing new stuff, go to the future where everything will be okay. But that's not the future I mean, I think. Okay. Um, and that's very interesting because I don't think that most of my students really understand what I'm kind of teaching them. But um, that's also not a big problem because they are, of course, already kind of infected with the whole idea of modernity and uh, with the idea that we always have to kind of leave the situation we are in because there is always a better situation. Uh, but with the future, I more mean uh, the way that we uh, are stuck in old models, uh, the models of the Enlightenment, for example, modernity itself, and that we have to leave that kind of models behind. And I think that's the future. And then the future is in a kind of a really Buddhistic way, the now. Because Kay. there is no history, there is no past. That's also why I really love Vaporwave. I'm, I mean, Vaporwave is, I think, the essence of cultural meme where there is no future anymore but there is also no history uh, I don't know if you know Vaporwave no tell me I have Vaporwave is um, um, an exponent of internet culture uh, where people mostly mostly youngsters I think but also designers and article students uh, use uh, thousands of references from the past uh, to incorporate them in a new piece of art. And the piece of art itself, the references are not visible anymore. I mean, they are visible, but you cannot relate all those kind of references back to where they came from. And what they also do is, uh, through the mixture and the blend of all those influences, and also when it is, for example, when music is, for example, used, they kind of slow it down. So it also doesn't sound like music that has uh, already been made. Uh, so you get a kind of a new cultural object that doesn't sound like the future uh, because sometimes you hear fragments from uh, the past, but it's also not the past. So it's a kind of a very strange object. And that, I think, is also the strangeness of reality itself because it's not ironic. And it's also not meant to be ironic, which is, of course, one of the main characters of postmodernity or late modernity. Because in late modernity, uh, there are no real uh, stories anymore to give meaning. And a way to give a very brief meaning to your life is to ironically go back to, for example, uh, the past and take something from the past and try to change it so that's uh, nice for the now. The internet is continue relating referring to the past yeah 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 does it help to give meaning no 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 I <laughs> the think opposite well 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 it 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 helps of course to give meaning but it doesn't give kind of real meaning it's um, much more the the meaning that Baudrillard I think, think also refers to it's a kind of a pastiche way to give meaning because n at the moment there are things happening that are not worthy enough to, mm. to mention or uh, there was even nothing uh, happening. I remember s sitting in this building at the fourth floor, I believe, on the couch with uh, Geert Loving. 
um, the professor internet here, and that we were kind of uh, just looking around and saying nothing, and that Geert says, okay, damn, nothing is happening. And he didn't meant uh, that was nothing happening in the room, but that there is really nothing happening in the world. The only thing that happens is there is a new, new iPhone, or uh, there is a new kind of computer. Uh, somebody dug up a kind of a VR application. And there's nothing really kind of happening that gives you the idea that life is exciting. There are things that will change the world as it is at the moment. It looks like there's happening so much that it's really kind of overwhelming. Yeah, so nothing But is for real meaning. Of yeah, real yeah, that's yeah, 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 yeah. Is that the kind of feeling you... Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah because it's only kind of... It's it's no meaning because it's only information. Uh, mm. So the only thing you do when you buy a new iPhone is consuming the informational aspects of the iPhone because you already had the iPhone. I mean, the best iPhone ever invented. And I think the only that is really worthwhile is the first one uh, because the first one was really something new. And all those iPhones after that are just kind of replicas of what already is. Mm -hmm. But I have to say, that was eight years ago. And at the moment, you can really see that uh, the whole world is shifting. It's going on a lot. And that, that, that's very interesting. Now we are in the middle of a lot of uh, very interesting changes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. What are the major changes, in your opinion, right now? What is happening? Yeah, the, I, I, I think the most important change is the implosion of hierarchy. And technologies like, for example, the internet yes. or the World Wide Web yes. are, of course, very important there yeah. uh, because they kind of relate all the people with each other instead of that you need organizations or hierarchies who do stuff. Is it a form of new activism? No, I don't think it's really activism. Uh, it's much more just doing what you do. So activism is mostly kind of vibe that it's always against something. And I don't think that's the case. Let's take a little break. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>